Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The um, worship service of the Jewish synagogue is an amazing experience. If you were to attend that service, um, you would hear prayers uh, read in English, prayers read in Hebrew, although in some synagogues they would only be in Hebrew. And if you were fortunate enough, you would be in a synagogue that has a musical leader known as a chazan or cantor in English. Um, this morning, I, my guest is uh, cantor Jason Green, who is new to Ottawa. And we're going to chat about the role of the chazan, the cantor, and the role of Jewish music in uh, the synagogue's life. Cantor, grew up, Cantor Green grew up singing in and conducting synagogue choirs in Montreal. He studied to become a cantor through the London School of Jewish Studies in his 20s and has led synagogues in the United States and the UK before coming to Ottawa, where he took up the position of cantor at Kehilat Beth Israel here in Ottawa, the largest congregation in Ottawa affiliated with the conservative movement of North America. Uh, Cantor Green, uh, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you very much. Uh, It's a pleasure, and of course, we want to welcome you on behalf of all our listeners to uh, Ottawa and Canada, although you are a native Canadian, but welcome back. Thank you very much. Good to be home. Well, I'm sure it is. So um, let me um, begin by asking you to describe the role of the cantor as you have come to know it. I think the the primary role of the cantor is a preserver and teacher of the musical tradition that goes back many, many years to ancient times. Um, there are many different roles that cantors play in synagogues, um, spiritual leaders, uh, teachers of children and, and of adults. Um, they are choir leaders. They are um, even administrators sometimes, programming professionals, uh, pastoral care- caregivers, Um, There are so many roles that cantors can play in congregations, and uh, I've tried to uh, include as many of these roles as possible in my portfolio. Um, Since uh, I became a cantor about 15 years ago, um, it it gives me great pleasure to um, represent the, you know, and model Jewish uh, behavior. And I can do that through music, and I can do that through education, and it's one of the things I love to uh, love about my my job. Wonderful. Now, you mentioned as you were discussing your uh, portfolio and how you understand the role of the cantor that um, Jewish music has an ancient um, lineage. Perhaps for our listeners, you could remind them of the very origin of Jewish music, which is not in the synagogue but in the ancient temple, and how it's developed over the years um, in that uh, you, the cantor, becomes the preserver of that ancient tradition. Right. So, um, yes, the Jewish music, uh, we, it filled the Holy Temple in Jerusalem uh, in, in those, those days, and um, 
there was an, a massive orchestra made up of horns and, and um, stringed instruments and rhythm instruments, and it was an enormous musical um, undertaking to, to run a synagogue service. Um, there have been um, prayer leaders uh, since that time, but really we kind of have records just from um, slightly more modern times than that, going back perhaps 400 years, um, and where we see the uh, emergence of uh, formalized sidurim, which are prayer books. And then the service was codified, and, and so prayer leaders um, learn standard texts and standard prayer motifs. Um, and really what we have is the, the, the modern-day cantor has its origins or at least the golden age of the cantor, um, was the area between the two world wars. And so the cantorial greats included the Kusevitsky brothers, um, Kvartin, Hirschman, Alter, um, Hagi, Reutemann, Pinchik, Waldman, and Rosenblatt. There's so many of them. Um, and the synagogue was the cultural entertainment and the sort of the emotional outlet uh, for the Jewish people. The cantor was really the the opera star for Jews. And remember, this was times of persecution and depression and uh, great distress. And the music that the cantors would sing really represented this. They, you can hear uh, pain and, uh, and anguish in their hearts and in their souls and in their, in their music. Um, and it was important that the cantor be there for these emotional roles because you know, during this time persecution of the Jews, they weren't allowed into the opera houses. Um, they, they weren't allowed into the cultural centers that uh, um, the, the society around them were, were welcome to, nor could they afford it. Um, and so the cantors were really both the, the prayer leaders and the emotional outlet. Um, today we live in different times. You know, the cantor's role is no longer just to put on a concert uh, or to elicit tears that sort of release our collective anguish during services, during our Sabbath services, our holiday services. Nowadays, I think we have the awesome responsibility of conserving the, the ancient prayer heritage that dates well back before the Golden Age, as we discussed, and to try and bring out the joy and the community spirit in our services in modern but respectful ways. Um, so um, the music represents that with more communal singing, uh, more uh, melodies rather than um, operatic recitatives um, that that simply um, you know I I, w I would think that we have to be careful as cantors not to just have our ver voices heard for the sake of uh, uh, ego or anything like that. So yeah. as as you were talking and filling in our, our audience about the history, something struck me that perhaps you can help our audience understand. If one were to attend a church service, um, in the main, one would find a choir leading the musical worship of which there might be a soloist in the choir, but music tends to be led by a choir. In the ancient temple in Jerusalem, um, my recollection is that there might have been um, a uh, choir, perhaps even of mixed voices, um, but the synagogue has seemed to move away from the choir as the primary deliverer of ritual music and liturgical music to um, an individual which we now call the chazan. Um, so how did that emerge, that we moved from a more 
um, large um, selection of voices to the power of an individual voice? Well, I think a piece of that is that there are congregations um, as... Uh, the cantorate has become more of a luxury to include in some synagogues, and so many uh, congregations um, have moved away from having professional-led services and more towards lay leadership. And so um, the, the cantor, if there are, or the lay leader, because the cantor can refer to a lay leader as well, a congregant who, who's learned how to lead the prayers. Um, a couple of problems with that first, and, I'll, and then I'll move on to answering the question directly. The problem is that lay leaders, unless they've been trained by somebody who's an expert, uh, like a cantor, a chazan, um, might not be bringing the, the tradition with them. And you can end up with a situation where there's, you know, let's say secular melodies being incorporated into uh, the prayer services, which, are, are, which can be irreverent. Um, if at least not respectful of the ancient traditions. Um, I think the move away from choirs is that when you have less professional leadership, the choir sort of falls by the wayside as well. Um, And I think congregants also tend to sometimes uh, lump in the idea of having a choir, whether it's professional or volunteer, with I'm being led and I need to move my mouth to to be praying. Well, in my belief, in fact, in my ministry, it's it's very much not the case. The choir provides a new, a different flavor for prayer services, and I actually don't include choir in every one of my services because I don't want to necessarily, quote-unquote, take away prayer from the lips of congregants, but there are different ways to pray, just as, diff- as there's different ways to meditate, to, to um, come up with ideas. You can think out loud. Some people write it down. Some people say it out loud, and so forth. So the same thing with prayers. And actually, uh, my, in my um, tenure, uh, you know, throughout my cantorate, and in fact, since I was a small child, has been all about choirs. You can really, really inspire um, spirituality by adding on anywhere from simple to complex harmonic structures that, and uh, interpretations of the, 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 the choral texture um, that help um, paint the picture of what the words are saying. The words are in Hebrew, of course, uh, in, our, in my congregation, in many congregations, as you said, um, and sometimes people don't know what the meanings of the words are. They're in a, an ancient tongue. And so the music, particularly choral music, I feel, has the um, it has in its toolbox the ability to emote um, in ways that you know the cantor alone or lay leaders can't necessarily do. So I'm I'm a strong proponent of of bringing choirs into the musical scene, and uh, where where I go, I try and uh, I try and build choirs that will be uh, enjoyable to listen to uh, that that allow the congregation to sing along by using arrangements of repertoire that the congregation may already know, um, as well as teaching new tunes so that the, co- can, the congregation can sing along with the choir. And sometimes it is just meditative, and it's okay, too, when the congregation just listens and allows the words, allows the harmonies to just pour over them and transport them to a different time, a different place. So as you've been speaking about Jewish worship, um, you acknowledge and remind our um, listeners, our audience this morning, that in your synagogue, as well as many others, the worship is primarily in Hebrew, 
Um, I think in at least when I've attended your congregation services, there are a few prayers that are in English, but it's primarily a Hebrew-based service. Um, and you suggested that the music helps those who are, are unfamiliar with Hebrew to have an understanding of the intentionality of the prayer. Does that have to um, exist with the ancient melodies, or is it possible for that to exist with modern melodies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the artist is adept at it, it should be present in both, of course. Um, so I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Um, there are some melodies that are extremely tribal and have a very ancient feel to them. Um, for ex- and 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 they're they're considered to be so ingrained, so old that they literally come from Sinai. That God taught these melodies to us on Mount Sinai, and we've carried them forward through the generations. So, so let me just be clear to our listeners: you're not suggesting that they actually were written on Sinai, but that their history is such that Jews refer to them and believe the power of them as if they were at Sinai. Exactly right. Right. Um, and and in fact, don't tell anyone. I know this is a radio podcast or a radio right. presentation. Don't tell anyone. But the reality is, these melodies probably came from, let's say, about 400 years ago, and they were often German drinking songs <laughs> in the pubs. But the reality is, they made their way in so well. And and yes, we do have this impression that they they go. So, back could you give us an example of one or two of those melodies? Absolutely. So one of them is. Um, Konidre. Konidre is the um, the prayer that we say at the opening of Yom Kippur on the evening, and it uh, disavows us of our, all of our um, poorly chosen vows, uh, which are sins against God. So we, we try and uh, disavow ourselves, and uh, and has the melody like this: Konidre ve'esare. Ve Vekoname So we have this this very tribal feel to it. That's one example. There's other examples. And, and, and I'd like to hear another example, but I want to remind our listeners that um, for many worshipers who attend service on um, Kol Nidre, in fact, the service of Erev Yom Kippur often is called Kol Nidre by worshipers, by members of the Jewish community. Um, people will see that as a highlight, but only because of the melody. They won't be uh, terribly familiar with the words of the prayer, um, and there have been uh, many variants of the melody um, produced in um, instrumental music. Uh, right, so, and, a- and actually, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, of course, with, with Konidre. Um, it wasn't the words that make this uh, so ingrained in, the, in the, the mind's ear, as it were, of the congregants. It's the melody. The words really are a dry legal formula right. for, for eliminating a series of statements that may have existed before. It's very dry. And in fact, the rabbis of old, and not so old, wanted to get rid of the prayer entirely, but the music and the desire to have that 
tribal sound, that very Mycenae, as I said, uh, from Sinai sound, has kept Kol Nidre in our services. Uh, and becomes a highlight for many and, worshipers. And is absolutely a highlight. Not just a highlight, but you could walk into a synagogue in the middle of the prayer, not realizing perhaps where you are or when you are, but if you, uh, before you walked in, once you walk in and hear that melody, that says to so many Jews, ah, this is the High Holidays, this is the Day of Atonement. That sound is absolutely quintessential. Right. Thank you. That was a wonderful example of how the melody of this um, dry, repetitive, legalistic prayer, which in and of itself has minimal um, spiritual meaning to the average worshiper, is transformed into a powerful piece of liturgy by the melody and by the individual who presents the melody, mm -hmm. uh, namely the chazan. Could you give us another example, perhaps with a different milieu? Sure. Um, at various other times of the year, uh, there is a custom in traditional synagogues of having the, the koanim, the priestly uh, tribe, confer and be a sort of a viaduct from God to the congregation, to the rest of the Jewish people, um, the blessing, uh, which is known by various names, including the threefold blessing, the Aharonic blessing, or the priestly blessing, Nesiat uh, Kapayim, there's so many names for it, um, may God uh, protect and keep you, may God sh shine his face towards you, and uh, uh, be gracious to you, may God turn his face to you and grant you peace. And, and there are variants of it in some church services. Absolutely. Um, it's a uh, blessing, a series of three statements that um, comes from Deuteronomy, and some church services have used a variant of it, and you might even find it, our listeners might even find a variant of it in the Catholic Mass in Latin. So that's a great example of a uh, piece of liturgy that certainly uh, resonates um, throughout um, the Christian Jewish world. But the melody that you were going to associate it with, or you were going to associate with yeah. this, is which melody? Well, uh, actually, it's, it's called a nigun, uh -huh. and uh, a nigun is a melody without words, a song without words. And the, aside from the words of the prayer itself, which would be chanted sort of a, in a call-and-response way between the cantor and the, 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 the uh, kohanim, the priestly members of the tribe, um, it's really what comes between those um, utterances to give a chance for the congregants to recite a, a Kabbalistic prayer or reflect on the prayer itself. And it sort of fills the space and the time with music. And there's uh, any number of regionally sort of well-known or known um, uh, melodies that, that would fit in that space. One of them is something like this. Um, there's another one. And so on. So the nigun, this wordless melody, 
is usually associated with the uh, Hasidic movement of Judaism, not exclusively, but often is associated with um, a more Kabbalistic, mystical tradition. Um, how do you find um, congregations that you've worked with that tend not to be associated with um, the mystical movements of Judaism um, able to, how are they able to incorporate that into their own uh, spiritual practices? Or is that dependent on you, the musical leader? Uh, yeah, so that's what I was about to say. It's, it's actually more of the, the latter. My job is to bring that into their lives you know, and go on the journey with them. Um, and so if it's not as familiar, I'll, I would teach about it. I mean, you know, the services are dynamic, and they don't have to be just frontal. They can be interactive. They can be educational. And so I take time during my service um, with the help of the rabbis that I work with um, to uh, sort of eke out a little bit of time during the service to talk about this and, and literally say the things that I'm saying right here today so that people understand where that comes from. What is this about? What, where does it come from? How does it affect me? And what do I do with it? Um, and, and, and what's the choreography, the, the motions that go along with these sorts of things? So it's an education process. You're new to your synagogue, and you've um, been a shaliach uh, a prayer leader in other synagogues in both the United States and the UK. And I would think that one of the more challenging aspects of your responsibility is the preservation of synagogue tradition and the introdu- introduction of new music. Um, how do you balance that so that um, the, quote, old-timers uh, don't feel s- as if they're strangers in their synagogue? I'm emphasizing that kind of ownership. Um, and yet, as you so eloquently said, the importance of making the service dynamic is somewhat related to the introduction of more uh, modern motif of music. So how do you balance that, the preservation and the introduction? Sure. Uh, Preservation is, uh, as I see it, as I said, one of my main um, sort of mantras, one of my main mandates. Um, And so uh, the balance of uh, incorporating the congregation, uh, making sure melodies are appealing to all the different sort of demographics of the congregation um, is part of the art and the science of doing it. And I think it, it breaks down into, into uh, four steps, and, and really the, the, um, the goal for me is to get to know my congregation. The steps are teach, as I said, take time to teach, take time to learn. So I sit down with congregants, and I hear their melodies, and I learn their, the, the nuances, and I, I, I glean from the congregation that I'm joining, because it's my job very quickly to pick up and, and make sure people are comfortable and that I'm not barnstorming the system kind of thing. Um, the third is to, to practice what we uh, learn together. And so if I introduce a new melody, I will usually first... Um, share it with the congregation, either in a, pre, you know, in a service uh, where I can explain what the meanings of the words are, what the melody is, what I'm doing to word paint uh, the, the, the meanings of the text, and then literally lead an instant choir, as it were, of the, of the congregation and teach like the chorus or uh, the, the important spiritual line to participate in and so forth, and then uh, to repeat that over and over again uh, over the next, let's say, few weeks so that there is a, uh, uh, over time, a buildup of what I like to call sort of the musical and spiritual menu of the service, 
such that you can choose or I can choose as the professional, sort of the, the, um, the appetizer, the entree, the dessert for any given service, um, but there are a number of options in each, so we can keep things fresh all the time, um, make uh, the congregation comfortable with change, aware of uh, new pieces, but also feel right at home by making sure that there's um, a, a solid um, core of pieces that are done just about every week, uh, as congregational participation type pieces, so that we really um, everyone can grow together, and that's at any age, um, we can all do that together. So, as we uh, come to the end of our time, um, I'm wondering if there are modern composers of liturgical music that you will be introducing to Kehillat Beth Israel that might be new to the Ottawa Jewish community? Sure. I mean, um, two of my favorite composers and arrangers of, of Jewish synagogue music are Mayor Finkelstein, um, a cantor originally from London, England, but has really made a name for himself with his compositions and, and his fantastic voice um, throughout the U- U.S. and Canada. Um, so Mayor Finkelstein would have, uh, he wrote a um, very well-known um, melody for a setting of Le Dor Vador, is one example of the hundreds he's done. Le Dor Vador, Le Dor Vador, Le Dor Vador, Nagigod Lecha, and so on. Um, and uh, Stephen Glass, who is a longtime uh, friend, colleague, and uh, one of my mentors in the, in the Jewish choral music scene, who's written um, countless pieces, and I love his work for children in choir because it just brings out those angelic voices. Um, and, uh, and there's also music by Craig Taubman and Debbie Friedman, Jeffrey Klepper. These are, and Shlomo Karlbach even, um, these type, these composers have revolutionized participation in synagogue services by even those people who are only lightly or not even at all affiliated by providing melodies that are repetitive, simple to learn, and through the other things we can do to connect with the melodies, like dancing, like clapping along, like closing our eyes and saying lie, 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 without having to worry about the words, they've revolutionized participation in congregational life. And well, I, I have to admit you know. that you excite me um, by your conversation about Jewish music. I'm sure you excite our listeners, and you've given them a great insight into the world of the cantorate and to the liturgical depth that music brings to any Jewish worship service. Uh, Sometimes, I'm sure our listeners attend services without a professional musical leader and can find Jewish worship services, especially those that are in um, Hebrew alone, um, more challenging to follow and find the spirituality uh, within it. Um, I want to welcome you to Ottawa. I'm hopeful that your excitement about new Jewish music will infuse the entire city, um, and I look forward to uh, interviewing you at future opportunities about Jewish music and its impact on uh, the Jewish community and your synagogue. So thank you for joining me. Um, thank you very much It's been a pleasure to yeah. speak with you. Um, for Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you good day and shalom. A reminder that you can access our show, this morning's show, on the CHRI uh, website 
or on iTunes, both as a podcast. Shalom. Shalom.